becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer, the ship's being seen. Here we are, here we go. Do you feel it? We're going to the <laughs> shores. Oh, wow. That, that was cheesy. <laughs> what is the mood tonight? Dude. Uh, that's a good question. <clears throat> Just so weird right now. Let's talk about it. All right. I think we were going in one direction, but I think I'm about to maybe hit us at another place, though. Hit us. All right. Maybe we'll go head back to the other one. Uh, yeah, it's just been weird the last few weeks. And I think a lot of things that you and I have been studying uh, just with money and uh, economy and then COVID and all these things that have kind of happened over the last few years. And uh, there's just a lot of weird things happening, like Elon Musk by putting an offer on Twitter, like to buy Twitter. Like that's just... I mean, I've heard some people talk about this in different ways, but that's kind of like a baller move. <laughs> it's like, it does sort of feel like a simulation. Uh-huh. I've also noticed, I'm curious if you felt this, it's almost felt like the stuff that's supposed to be important, like it was COVID, then it was Ukraine, then it's like inflation. I don't know. Like they just keep not mattering mm-hmm. all that much anymore at, at a faster and faster rate. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, like especially the inflation thing, I don't, it, I, maybe because I'm a business owner and, and like I'm seeing all my prices like going up all over the place. Yeah. And you know, whether it be, you know, labor or, um, you know, my cups went up 10 cents each, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that might sound much, but you know, you know, when you're talking about that and then you're talking about your chocolate, you're talking about, I mean, all that stuff adds up, right. You know, pretty significantly. And it just, I, I saw this one tweet. I think I sent it to you guys, but, uh, this lady was talking about money and she's like, why don't we just print more of them and just pretend like there is no inflation. <laughs> and it was the most asinine, like, like, uh, but I, I get it. Like it's like it's like well, let's just pretend like there's no inflation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what we're doing. We're doing a lot of pretending right now. Yeah. It's like let's pretend like there's no inflation, and if people raise prices, it's because they're greedy. Yeah. So are you greedy? <laughs> totally greedy. <laughs> <laughs> greedy to stay in business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just really. Uh, I don't know. If I, I, it just doesn't seem. There's something like we're we're not like reality is about to snap back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm-hmm. we, we talked about that a lot. I think it was a couple of years ago. Like, you know, you kind of start to veer away from reality. Like there's not consequences or accountability. And, right. and that's part of what inflation is. It's accountability, you know, that you have a certain supply and, and uh, you know, that kind of like affords a certain amount of uh, uh, spending, uh, uh, Oh shoot, I forgot the word now. Um, <clears throat> ability to spend. So if you have you know, like, you know, a million dollars and you just kind of come out of nowhere with two million dollars, it's like, well, you can buy more things with that two million dollars, but at the same time, you're just kind of like 
printing more money to just have more money. And at some point that money has to devalue because there's, there's too much of it. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's like that, that accountability of stewarding your resources. If you don't do that well, at some point, you know, you, in a business you go bankrupt, right. you know, um, or, you know, as a country, people lose faith in your monetary system and there's a better monetary system that has more accountability and more reliability than that you move to that new system. And even though you might be like, no, no guys, we're all good. There's no inflation, but everyone that's, you know, somewhat savvy is going to be like, well, you're not reliable. Mm -hmm. You keep printing more money and more money and more money. And that's not reliable. So I need to find something that is reliable that I can hedge my bets into the future with, you know, um, you know, and just all the, all the wild things of, you know, you know, why did we create women's sports? You know, there was a reason why we created women's sports, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll go because it pleased the men. <laughs> it pleased the men. Uh, you know, you don't want to go into the, well, it's just, I feel like there's these things that like, like we want to like break things down into the, to the fringes, but we have to operate in some sort of agreement with each other. We have to kind of agree on certain symbols in the way we act in the world. Cause if you don't have an agreement, like, you know, we have the constitution and bill of rights, you know, that, that we're kind of, you know, united under that kind of form that foundation. You right. Know? And if you don't agree on some of those basic things, even though it, it does displace some people or is maybe not unfair in some circumstances, but for most everybody, it, it, it helps us at least orient ourselves. If you know what the rules are, you know how to orient yourself. Mm -hmm. But if those rules are arbitrary and continually changing, you don't know how to orient yourself. It seems to me like our culture is more obsessed with playing with categories Mm -hmm. as a way to escape rules. Yeah. And the the danger there is that if you break too many categories, then you really can't orient. Mm -hmm. It's not even so much about the rules. It's, it's, well, I don't know what to do with you Mm -hmm. because you, you don't, you're not recognizing any of the same categories that I'm recognizing. Mm -hmm. Like I think Robert Sapolsky, uh, has this, he's, I think he teaches it, uh, Stanford, maybe mm-hmm. you can watch this one lecture online. He talks about categorization. He uses the the color spectrum of, of, as an example, and he sort of says, like, you know, where's the difference between orange and red? And you know, you can point at the spectrum and say, there's orange and there's red, but tell me exactly where it switches from orange to red. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't. There's something arbitrary about that. Yeah. But we have to agree that there is orange and there is red. Mm-hmm. If you start calling, if you start saying, well, I think all of red is or, or, or 90% of red is actually orange, and I'm calling that orange. Everyone else is calling it red. But you can't function. Mm-hmm. We, we, have to, we have to agree on basic categories in order to be productive in the world. Yeah. I mean, you just think in the, in the, even in the family structure, you know, it's like kids operate better with some sort of structure. And I mean, that's just a psychological fact, you know, Mm -hmm. if uh, if you don't give a kid sort of a structure, it's like, they don't know how to interact in the world. That's what they, 
they learn from their parents, whether, you know, some things are good and some things are bad. And, you know, each generation hopefully kind of keeps reorienting themselves and maybe correcting errors of the past, you know, but yeah. at the same time, like children need that to orient themselves to the world and learn about the world, um, how to, how to interact with it. So it's like, you know, we can say that categories are good, but we can also, there is a certain, there's a certain tyranny to categories too. Right. And, and I think that's, I think there's something healthy about challenging categories, but then just the, but I think how you were saying it was like the challenge category itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's a, there's, that's not, that's not helpful at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because every category is wrong at the edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's no way to get it right. Mm-mm. So yeah, challenge it. Yeah. But get, getting rid of it altogether removes, well, any hope of doing anything. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with a relationship, you know, it's like, you know, you're in a relationship with somebody like, you know, Alice and I were friends for like, like really good friends for about two years before we started dating. It's like, <clears throat> we wanted our relationship to change in such a way that it's not, it's not being friends. So we're mm-hmm. no longer in the category of friends. What changed, you know, and, mm. and we can kind of be, I, I could see people arguing a lot of different things in this area, but it doesn't matter what you call it. There's something that changed. And then everybody does this, whether they know it or not, you, you start to recategorize yourself or, or even, even if you don't say it out loud, you start to act in a way that, is you're acting out the new category, whether right. you have named it or not. Yeah. At some point you say, Hey, this is Allison, my girlfriend, mm-hmm. not my friend, Allison. Yeah. And maybe in that case, you're actually imposing a new category and forcing the thing to change into it. Mm-hmm. And which is, you know, which is confusing too. It's like, uh, you know, how do you call, <clears throat> uh, you know, you have a Western category of, of marriage, you know, but we're going to have an open relationship. Okay. Well, that's different. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's not, that's yeah, there is something ox- oxymoronic about the idea of an open marriage. Yeah. Well, that's not to your point. I think that's mm-hmm. not a marriage. Yeah. What is it? Well, maybe we don't have an institutional word for that. Exactly. But you still can't call it marriage. You know, it's, it's, it's something, I think those are the hard things. Like we try to cram too many things into some categories and then we try to demolish other ones that we actually do need those categories, you know? It's like, is there a difference between a marriage between a man and a man and a marriage between a man and a woman? You mm-hmm. can say, like, well, yeah, and the possibility of producing children through intercourse of the two individuals. And then someone would say, well, no, because what if the woman can't have kids or mm-hmm. the man can't have mm-hmm. kids? Well, then they don't fit in that category. Mm-hmm. And so like, you're like, well, yes, but the possibility is still there. You know, so you can kind of like you can, I see how you can really play with these things. It's like, well, no. And then, or you can just redefine it all together in that, you know, marriages between two people that love each other and want to spend the rest of their life together. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's a definition of marriage. And, you know, so it's like, so we are acting these things out in the world and trying to understand what is this word or do we, oh, that's interesting. Maybe that's it? why you need to agree on categories in order to move forward in the world because, mm-hmm. You, you are categorizing something in order to act it out, in order to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. The categorization is a tool to help you understand, not a definitive label mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think over the past 20 years, I think that's changed in the, in the marriage category. It's like we've kind of redefined it as 
or so, or so it seems anyways, is two people who are going to spend their, t- their life together in pursuit of a future together. Right. But even that kind of falls apart. Cause that also is like, you, you hear it's like, then some people uh, for a time, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, you know, until our different, until our paths no longer, you know, uh, uh, intersect or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, but that's different between like, you know, two people going into, uh, again, I'm just using more traditional marriage in this sense, like two people going into marriage into death to us part kind of way, you know? And then there's something that happens later on that there's a split. Well, that's different from like, you know, having the definition prior to that, that's not death do you part, you know, mm. it's like you're, you're going into it knowing like, okay, at some point we might disagree. And so this, it'll be, then we'll have to end that contract and I might enter that contract with somebody else, you know? Yeah. So you're, so you're saying you could observe the category of marriage and say a lot of marriages don't last. Mm-hmm. So maybe the category should not be defined by, um, unending commitment. Yeah. So we change that. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So you've changed it now to what? Something that looks a lot more like a very, very serious dating. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But there's an importance to differentiating dating from marriage. Mm-hmm. So have we destroyed some of that importance in whatever that is yeah. by changing the rules of the category based upon the fact that sometimes the category fails? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And is that helpful? <laughs> well, it's, it, it's so, it's, it's fascinating because what, you know, what percentage of the population still also carries that sort of death to us part, mm-hmm. even though it, this might fail, but, we're going into it as if we're going to act as if death do us part. Right. And like that other definition is not a part of what I'm in or into. Right. You know, so what do you call that? You know, so should that have a new meaning? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like, Hey, I'm going into a, a, a DD marriage, death do us part marriage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it, 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 you know, cause like, again, it's a deed up. It's, you know, it's like, so, it, so we kind of blend these, you know, again, you can throw open marriage in there too. It's like, well, you know, or you could maybe even say like, well, you know, like, um, Mormons have, or have in the past, maybe not so much nowadays, like, uh, a man might have two wives, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like, well, within that context, that's what marriage is. It's the possibility. I don't think, I don't know if in Mormonism, women can have two husbands. I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's only a man can have two wives, Mm -hmm. but let's just say in that context, it's like, that's a part of their definition within their realm of what marriage is. And they might exclude other, other marriages, you know, like that's not a marriage or something like that. Um, Hmm. but then to get rid of the category altogether is not useful or helpful. Kind of like what you were saying. Right. It makes me think about, well, sometimes it's really hard to let go of categories that you've established too. Hmm. Like, for instance, the category of COVID itself. Oh, interesting. It's taken us a long time to let go of that category. I was thinking about it today and thinking about, you know, at least here in Texas, it's probably been this way um, longer in Texas than it's been in other places. But it kind of feels like we we don't talk about COVID anymore. We don't Mm -hmm. act out COVID anymore. It's kind of like, you know, if I see somebody, I've been seeing a lot of people post positive COVID tests on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of flip right by it. I don't, yeah. I don't really look at who it was. Oh no. Are you going to be, be okay? Do you need me to bring you anything like this? This whole thing we used to do. Yeah. 
we're just not really doing COVID anymore. Mm -hmm. And I don't think COVID changed. I think we changed. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's not you, it's me. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry, COVID. It's not you. Um, I think we're having to let go of the category because when the whole thing first started, the category was unknown. Mm -hmm. So we're going to act as if this is a, a super concerning, deadly thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And we all did a really good job at you know, doing that for a very long time. <laughs> long time. And I think now we're, we're being confronted with the recategorization of COVID. Mm. Um, the, the abolition of the previous definition of that. Yeah. At least we're behaving as if that's the case. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's a lot of people who might be really upset when they hear me say all of that. Mm-hmm. Like, no, no, it's still serious. We still have to take it seriously. I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying we are behaving as if it isn't what we thought it was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And that's probably good yeah. in a lot of ways and maybe bad in some ways. Um, but all that to say, it is hard to let go of the category once you've established it and lived by it. Well, it's safe too. It's like, you know, uh, not to equivocate, uh, uh, an abusive relationship with, uh, COVID, but at the same time, that's why, you know, men and women both stay in, you know, abusive relationships because it's right, safe. Right, it's right. predictable. I know what to do. I know what to expect. It's safe. Well, that bears a bit of uh, closer examination. Yeah. It's not safe, <clears throat> but it is perceived as safer than the destruction of the category. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's something true about that with COVID. Yeah. Which is what you're saying. Exactly. It's, it's, there's something that we're used to and that we're, we're, where we've been interacting in the world under the umbrella of COVID. So, you know, like, again, I think, you know, being in it for two years, mostly out in the public as, you know, being in coffee and stuff like that, it's like you kind of got to see different people kind of move out into the world. Yeah. And sort of like you see them kind of tiptoe in and stick their foot in the water a little bit. Is it okay? Is it okay? Is it safe? Yeah. So they're, they're interacting with that that symbol of COVID mm-hmm. and, and, and starting to, and seeing it kind of shift for them and what that means where right now I can go to a restaurant. Well, that's, that's changed for different people at different times along the way. And it's like, we have to allow those sort of like, you know, I mean, that's also why we have States in in the United States is like, we have all these little microcosms that can try out different things that might, might not work. That's why we should, we have a, a stronger state than, a federal government is because we have a lot of, we have 50 uh, experiments happening and that we can, all the States can kind of learn from which ones that works, you know, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which I think you're seeing with, you know, Texas and Florida as they've kind of, you know, been less restrictive as we've come out of this. It's like, you can kind of see everybody else go, okay, it seems to be working for them. So we're going to do right. it too. <laughs> we're never going to admit that. Though, no, because... no, no. Uh-uh. But if it would have completely failed, it would be like, Oh yeah. Right. I'm glad we're not like Texas and Florida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were safe. We were, you know, it's like, but I think that's the hard thing too, is whenever you do, when something is redefined, there's a certain amount of tension and, uh, yeah, just tension and, and, and trying to examine that category that you have or whatever mm-hmm. subject it is. Mm-hmm. And we see that with teenagers all the time. You know, it's like they grew up with 
the rules and regulations that their parents put on them, the, the structures and all that kind of stuff. And then there's a sort of testing and pushing. And is that really, is that really good? Like, is it really okay for me not to go to bed yeah. at 10? Like I can stay up till two thirty. It's like, well, after months or years of that, at some point they're gonna be like, you know what? I actually need to go to bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But sometimes you need to push against the categories to see if they're really valid, you know? Right. It's like, because there's a lot that aren't valid, you know? Totally. Hmm. Yeah, my mind went somewhere <laughs> with that that I, I couldn't quite follow through. So <laughs> uh, I saw you chasing down <clears throat> something. I was, I was chasing down something. Yeah, I couldn't find it, though. <laughs> Well, again, I just kind of like maybe coming back to the marriage, the boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, it's like we see, we experience and, and see that progression in a relationship or even a friendship. You know, it's like you and I, when we first met, it wasn't like, Hey Matt, yeah, let's be best friends, man. Let's do a (laughs) podcast. It's like, we've only known each other for 10 minutes, but let's do this thing. It was like, it was like hours of time and like, you know, it's like you're building a rapport and then. You know, it's like things start to interconnect and stuff like that. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting difference between the marriage analogy because generally your friends, your best friends, Mm -hmm. that category or label of that category is generally emergent. Mm -hmm. Like you just sort of at some point you're like, oh, yeah, that's my best friend. (laughs) That's been true for a long time. I just kind of realized it, you Uh know. But you don't ever like sort of wake up one to be like, oh yeah, that's my wife. You know, <laughs> I'm just now realizing. Uh, um, sometimes a category emerges, hmm. you find yourself in it. Other categories are useful in that you apply them so that you can become them. Mm-hmm. Like I think marriage is that. Yeah, that's interesting. You're not married until you are married, and that's important because marriage is something you don't understand. Hmm. You don't you don't find yourself in it. You make a decision to step across a threshold into some great unknown. Hmm. So you cross the boundary of that category consciously. I think you have to. Yeah. Unlike some other categories in which you are sort of like, Oh, I didn't realize I was in this category. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think that applies to like arranged marriages? Like, I still think it's the same thing. thing. Yeah. You're still consciously willfully stepping across that category boundary. Yeah. You know, even though someone else might have decided who you're going to do that with. Well, okay. Here's the interesting. What about like work and army or the, the armed forces, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like you enter into the armed forces and Mm -hmm. there's like a dress code, like you sort of like enter into a, a system that like you're in the army before you're actually in the army. Like you, you Mm -hmm. get, you get, you get all the gear to say that you're in the army, but like really like there's something about you haven't had the training, you haven't had the experience. There's a sort of like, but there's a commitment that you then enter the category of <clears throat> army, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. or your new position. It's like, you weren't, uh, you weren't that person until you entered into that position and you sort of became that person. Right. It's not That's, like you had the potential and actual, you know, I mean, maybe does this, um, sort of describe the incorrectness of the boundaries of a category in some sense, like using the army example. Yeah. So like you, 
let's say you go sign up for the army and they issue you your clothes. Are you in the army then? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Let's say you show up from boot camp. Day one. Are you in the army then? Maybe. Get through boot camp. Are you in the army again? Then? It's like, definitely. But then you go to war and you survive a battle and you look back and you say, was I in the army at the end of boot camp? Yeah. I, w- I suspect you'd say, no, there's a big difference between somebody who's fought in a war mm-hmm. and somebody who's been through boot camp. You could say they're both in the army, but they're in a different army. Yeah. Like a different category. So where is the line? Like, where do you say you've done it? I think you can do the same thing. And, and I think what's important about it, what gets you into the army, the, into the deepest part of the army, mm-hmm. is you have to take that first step and say, I'm going to join. Mm. I think marriage is similar. Yeah. You know, are you married when you say I do? It's like, Yes. Are you more or less married when you consummate the relationship? More. Mm-hmm. Are you more or less married when you have a kid or when you have your, you know, first massive fight or, um, you know, between each other, then the first massive, massive fight between the two families, mm. you know, and, and, th- and then encounter, let's say betrayal of some kind. Yeah. It's like, you're more married, mm-hmm. but how can you be more in one category? Well, you definitely see that with, you know, even where we have these sort of categories of honeymoon phase, mm-hmm. like it's a subcategories, subcategories. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a, it's a very, and sometimes people don't have the honeymoon phase, you know, it's like, it's but you could play that game. That could be a fractal mm-hmm. of a game that you could play, you know, yeah. infinitely. I mean, we had subcategorized honeymoon phase and then we could subcategorize those subcategories. Totally. But it's interesting though, like again, you're, you're dealing with sort of like a hierarchy, you know, it's like, you know, this is, this is under the, the symbol or the, the topic of, uh, marriage, you know, mm-hmm. it's like where the honeymoon phase, well, we even use it with work too. It's like the honeymoon phase of your first, you know, month or three months or something like that. It's like the, the newness of it. Totally. <clears throat> I was talking to one of my colleagues about that yesterday. We were both kind of observing that cause we both started this job about six months ago at the same time. And he was observing that time has started to feel kind of normal and there's kind mm-hmm. of a drag to it because mm-hmm. it was, I think it was Wednesday. It was yesterday and we we're talking. He's like, hey, it should be Friday. This week is lasting forever. And, and then we kind of noticed that like at the beginning of the job, the time just flies by because mm-hmm. everything's new. Yeah. You know, you're just sort of just drinking from a fire hose of information and new <laughs> people and new place. And it's exhausting. And you, you know, you're sleeping really well and hard and you're working hard all day and you don't, there's no boredom, mm-hmm. you know, and there's like a <clears throat> time feels different. And then after a while it starts to kind of feel like a drag. Yeah. Cause you kind of know what you're doing mm-hmm. and that also opens up, you know, the opportunity for boredom and time starts moving different. Yeah. Or when your wife farts in front of you the first time, (laughs) (laughs) not that Allison, I didn't see that analogy coming. (laughs) You're like, wait, what category are we in? I thought we were not in that category. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But, but again, I think sometimes 
we get into these subcategories and then we forget that they fall under a more overarching category. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> yeah, I wonder, I, I wonder how that is going to, I feel like, again, I think that's kind of the natural progression of things. Even that we've kind of talked a little bit about the fourth turning, like the different, basically like, um, there's four cycles in, in, in history and, you know, from, uh, from crisis to awakening and in between those two sections is sort of like a, an unraveling of, uh, of culture, you know, uh, of the categories. And then there's sort of like, uh, uh, whenever you hit a crisis moment, then there's sort of like this crisis of redefining those categories and then there's awakening when everyone sort of is functioning under those categories. And then again, those categories start to stale and sort of become rigid and mm. they need to be kind of broken again. Mm. And so there's that, I mean, the sixties was kind of one of those categories where, you know, um, it was, it became too rigid, you know, and, and it was sort of like push from those rigid categories. And I mean, but what did most of the hippies come to after that they kind of went into the very categories that they were fighting against you know uh right they rediscovered the old category uh i think that's part of the archetypal analogy of rescuing your father Mm. from the belly of the whale Mm. it's like you you if you live long enough Mm -hmm. you will rediscover the categories that you discarded Mm. partly because they were useful even when you discarded them um and partly what you replaced with them with was the same thing. You just don't want to see it that way. Mm. Yeah. You see that with a, a lot of Christians that come out of sort of abusive churches and stuff like that, or, or, you know, churches that maybe were too rigid or something like that. They, they kind of define themselves as not that, but then they end up kind of going into other churches that, almost do the same exact thing, but it's not that <laughs> right. Just slightly different. It's not the exact same thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Well, so let me try this. Okay. That's a, I think that's a very natural process and, and to quibble about like where the lines of a category are makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that seems to be happening is we're not just quibbling about where the lines of a category are. Go around, Luca. Um, it's like, so back to, to sort of taking this idea of fractals of subcategories. Mm-hmm. Like we're going down to some, some uh, like three or four subcategories deep and quibbling about the lines and then saying, because I don't like where this line is drawn, I actually think this entire subcategory exists outside of the overarching category. Mm. I'm going to remove it from that category completely. Mm. And that's where things get mad. Mm. And I'm thinking specifically about the transgender debate. Mm-hmm. So we can say, you know, at a subcategory level, you know, what do you do? I'm just, I'm going to just keep going with this, <laughs> even though I feel very nervous. And okay. So we have the category of man, let's say, um, and all the things that are associated with that. So man as husband 
in a relationship with a woman, um, for example, that presupposes a sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So then at some point we need to say, well, does the sexual orientation have to be this way in this subcategory of man in order for man to be man? Mm-hmm. And then think we all sort of say, you know, probably not. Okay. You could be gay and mm-hmm. that's a man who has this, a, a different formulation of this subcategory mm-hmm. of sexual orientation. Um, and then at some point it, and, and that works and you can feel what you want to about it, um, you know, sort of morally or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody has to be, comfortable with that or support that, you know, it's like, but you should let people live how they want to live, feel the same way about trans. Mm -hmm. I think that the, it's so troublesome culturally it's become such a, it's become really the spearhead of like the hot button topics. And I think maybe this is what part of the reason why, which is we go, okay, there's other things about this, these subcategories of man so maybe it's not just that I'm attracted to other men, but I, I actually just feel more feminine in my brain, mm-hmm. which, you know, you can resolve that other ways within the category of man. But we've said, you know, but I think, I think th- I'm going to notice this. And instead of negotiate the subcategories, I'm just going to remove myself from the category of man altogether mm-hmm. and insert myself <clears throat> into the category of woman. Yeah. Now you have a, an enormously large, larger amount of subcategory incongruencies mm. because none of your subcategories match the subcategories of woman. Mm-hmm. So now you're at odds with every subcategory mm. and you have to say, renegotiate the entire category of woman. Mm-hmm. And that's, well, in some sense, intolerable because... man and woman is such a, it's, it's a very large overarching Mm -hmm. category and you want to renegotiate all of that. All of that is too much. Mm -hmm. All of that is everything. And we can't renegotiate everything. Like just literally functionally, we can't do it. Yeah. So what you're asking me to do because you just didn't like a little subcategory of this one is to renegotiate all of reality Mm. and we can't do it and we don't know what to do about it. And I think that's why this trans thing has been like a massive um, debate. Well, I think the, I mean, the interesting thing too with, um, you know, I even think about first and second wave feminism where they had to challenge a lot of the stereotypes that were, that were put on them, you know, like, I'm a woman who likes to play with trucks or get dirty. Oh, you're a tomboy, you know? It's like, no, I'm still a woman. I just like to play with trucks. You know, it's like, so, cause I mean, it's, it, when we were coming out of the fifties and forties, there was like very rigid categories of what is a man and what is a woman. You know, it's like women wear dresses and they cook the dinner and stay at home. And you know, there's all these like rigid categories that women, you know, kind of fit into, you know, and you know, that first, first and second wave feminism sort of said, that's not what makes a woman, right. whether I wear a dress or, I, I like pretty things or I like pink, you know, or mm-hmm. I don't like pink. I like gray or, you know, whatever it might be. It's like, that's not what makes me a woman. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things that I think there was, 
the categorization categorization of woman and man were pretty rigid coming out of the fifties. Uh, and I'm kind of using arbitrary. Well, yeah, I, I think they were, and I think that was actually really necessary. Mm-hmm, totally, yeah, because yeah. we had just been through a massive war, and when you get into a massive war where death is a daily thing, yeah, y- you need strong categories because mm-hmm. how else are you going to move forward? Yeah, and so I think that the fact that we had very rigid and stereotypical categories for men and women was necessarily functional. Mm. Well, I think even at that time is when it, those categories were challenged because, you know, uh, you know, women were making, were starting to go to work, you know, in, in a larger, uh, a larger, it's hard to say, like go to work, like outside of the home or something like that. You know, it's like where they, they were doing the ammunitions and that kind of stuff moving into the workplace workplace. Yeah. yeah there you go. Um, and, and maybe like non-traditional roles or something like that, not mm-hmm. as a secretary or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a lot, there was a lot of those stereotypes that were kind of breaking at that time, you know, coming out of world war two, uh, yeah. into the sixties. And, and those were good stereotypes to, to have broken, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, which I'm thankful for my daughters, you know, it's like, it's like they have a, a, a very wide future that they can participate in. Yeah. And a lot of that was from the first and second wave, you know, mm-hmm. feminism and stuff. So, um, so we actually get the, I think my girls get to have the fruits of that, you know, um, where there's, you know, they can choose to be at home and raise kids if they want to, or have kids or not have kids. You know, it's not a stereotype for someone not to have kids anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you mean, it's not that they can do that when they couldn't before. Yeah. It's that they can do that without that being uncomfortably questionable in society. Mm-hmm. Is so, that, does yeah, that totally. Yeah. Okay. So it even, even kind of makes sense, like how the category of man and woman can become blurred because when you do have that sort of opening up, it's sort of like, well, how far can we stretch this category? Mm-hmm. Like, like is a what is there is there actually any difference between men and women? You know, mm-hmm. in fact, it's probably easier to tell a different difference from uh, that women are more different than men just because they can make babies and you know they have this whole other reproductive system going on. <laughs> you know that 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 distinguishes them some, distinguishes them themselves pretty clearly from men. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's hard. You know, once you start. I think it's helpful to have those, those, those sort of breakdowns, but at the same time, you know, as I was looking at this one, um, thing, it was just, it was just talking about, um, you know, if you look at uh, high school boys track versus the Olympics women's track, all the high school boys, I like guess it's a national level boys, you know, uh, high school track beat all of the women's gold, mm-hmm. all the women's track stuff. And it's like part of you can say, well, that's not fair. It's like, well, that's why we created men and women's sports is because men and women's fair. bodies is, are different. Yeah. And that was something that was, that was actually really awesome. Again, first, second wave feminism that we distinguish between like, Hey, women can play sports and they're really good at it, but you need to compete amongst each other to yeah. do that. Well, it's no different than having weight categories in boxing. True. Yeah. You know, you don't want to see a lightweight box a heavyweight. Mm-hmm. It's just not, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. 
because the competition mm-hmm. isn't isn't squarely like uh, uh, matched. Mm-hmm. Just like you don't want to see any, which is why we have divisions in all of sports. You want to see equally matched people compete because that's when competition is worth watching. Mm. Because that's when you don't know who's going to win. Yeah. Oh, you even think about like even high schools, like Division One versus Division Five. Totally. You yeah. Know, it's like, it's like you a Division Five school is going to have a larger pick. A, a bigger pool that, mm-hmm. to pick from. And it's like most likely that's going to lead to a better team. Yeah. You don't want them to go against the division one. I, I think they were called division. I know division one college is number right. one, but <laughs> a five, a school. Yeah. Is you biggest. don't, well, you don't want to see it. It feels, um, unsportsmanlike, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't go watch, you just pick a random sport, basketball. You mm-hmm. wouldn't want to be like, Hey, do you want to go see, uh, the, the senior, high school basketball players, uh, they're going to play the seventh graders. Yeah. You're like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I want to see the seventh graders get humiliated. Yeah. And, and, and nobody, you know, the, the seniors don't want to play that either. Cause mm-hmm. it's not competition. It, it feels bad. Yeah. So it's like, I, this is just so funny to me because it just seems so obvious and self-evident why we have women's sports and why that's an obviously and self-evidently good thing. Mm-hmm not just for women, but for everyone. Yeah. Like it seems inarguable. Mm -hmm. And the fact that culture is trying to sort of cudgel us into admitting that, well, we need to let men compete against women and violate the structure of that sport in order to affirm the renegotiation of these categories. Mm -hmm. I just think, well, it's just silly. Yeah. And that's not an anti-trans statement and it's not a transphobic statement. It's a sports statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's the part that's confusing is that, you know, we renegotiate these, these categories and it's like, of course, like, you know what? There's a lot of women out there that can kick my ass, you know? Totally. Right. <laughs> but when we're talking about competition, that's a, that's a completely different thing in that, mm-hmm. you know, again, my example of like high school boys versus Olympic women, it's like when you start taking that out to the categories of competition, it's like you're going to put pit the best against the best. I mean, even like in tennis, um, you know, I think it was, was it Serena? that played the 204th ranked uh, men's and he beat her, beat her six, one, six, one. And you know, it's like, it, it's just different whenever you start to talk about like the best of the best in women and the best of the best in men. It's just, it, it's just really, it's just really different. Now there might be some sports where that, those categories start to bleed a little bit more, uh, yeah. Overlap or whatever. Like chess, well, maybe, you know, that's we, the thing is I we don't, chess is one of we don't really understand intuitively economies <laughs> of scale Yeah, because it could be the case that the, that any given average woman and any given average man mm-hmm. would have fairly well matched c- competition in any given sport. Mm-hmm. And actually that, I think that probably is the case. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't play sports match me with any given female in any given sport it's reasonable that that would be a decent enough competition to watch, mm-hmm. you know, but if you take the extreme ends of the distribution, you say, well, who are the best female 
tennis players and who are the best male tennis players. Mm-hmm. You're at such an extreme end, end of the population distribution that small differences matter a lot. Mm-hmm. And in that case, and it, it just so happens to be in most sports, when it comes to like physical sports, yeah. you take the best men and the best women, the, best, the, the men will beat the women almost every time. And it's not fair. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's not fair. But there isn't anything you can do about it. Well, what is it that we're trying to do here? Because, I mean, like, that's one thing I love about living in the United States is you can pretty much do anything you want. You can be whoever you want. Almost. And then... You have a massive amount of freedom and opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's always the... It doesn't matter who you are. If you operate on the fringe, you're going to be encountered as odd. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about everything from as an entrepreneur to sexually to whatever it might be. Right. When you operate on the fringe, I mean, uh, like a movie star or what you know, it's like even in sports, you know, it's like you're going to encounter opposition, you know, as far as like you're going to be judged differently. And I think that's just hard for anybody who operates on that, the fringe of categories, you know? Yeah. Well, cause you don't, yeah, you don't know what to do with people on the fringe of categories because you don't exactly know where the edge of the category is, mm-hmm. which is, you know, we kind of made that point. Yeah. And so are they in the category or out of the category? It's not exactly clear when it comes to talent too. I think the people on the fringes of the category in, in terms of being the best of the best, they also don't know what to do with the rest of the world. Mm. Like they have that extreme talent at the expense of something else. Mm. Like most of the people who are highly successful at something are that way at the expense of a deficit almost everywhere else. Mm. True. Like I, th- I think about him um, for my money. One of the best musicians in the world is this mandolin player named Chris Thiele. And I, I, I know a few people who have spent time with him. I mean, he's just like, I could sit down and watch videos of this guy playing mandolin for hours on end. I mean, he's just spectacularly talented, spectacularly emotive in the way that he plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some friends who've toured with him and have said he's miserable to be around. Oh, really? <laughs> because he <clears throat> practices constantly. He has no social skills. You don't, you know, it's like, you can't just shoot the shit with him. His mind has no room for that. He's always in this mode, which is what Mm -hmm. makes him so good. Yeah. But he, at the expense of like not being great at these other things. And you think, well, is that a good trade off? Hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would be the best mandolin player. If I could choose to be the best mandolin player in the world, but give up my socialization. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd do that. It's sort of similar with, um, you know, you observe most of the very highly successful business people, sort of mm-hmm. CEO types, mm-hmm. you know, 0.1% types of the world. Yeah. It's true of business people. I, I think it's also pretty true of really successful um, people in sports and in music. Uh, you know, they have a real problem keeping families together, mm-hmm. keeping marriages, you know, and I think I, 
if I could choose to be successful, but give up hope of keeping a relationship and a family together, I just, I don't know if I'd take that trade off. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hyper specialization in a category, you know, it's like when that becomes a thing that defines you, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, but you're also so much more than that. And I think that's, it's like, if you, if you define yourself by like, I'm a business person or, um, yeah, whatever, you know, bandolin player, it's like, well, you, that is a part of you, but that's not who you are. And I think that's sometimes we get lost in that more singular focus categorization. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you're actually a complex person. Mm -hmm. There's so many things, so many facets of you that are outside of that one category you want to put yourself in, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even like, you know, sometimes we want to, like, we've seen that this year a lot with whether it's, you know, race, gender, sex, politics. It's like, we want to make people one dimensional, like, Oh, you're a Republican. Oh, Mm -hmm. you're a, you know, this colored person or that colored person. It's like, it's, it's, we want to make people one dimensional and be like a super category that is very, which is a word for that. It's a dehumanizing. dehumanizing. (laughs) It's a very good word. Yeah. It's like, we all know that the, because when we're talking about fractals of subcategories and you have to think, well, what are the overarching categories? I mean, Mm -hmm. being a human is an overarching category. Yeah. We are all human. Mm -hmm. And it's dehumanizing to say, what's most important about you are these subcategories. Yeah. Like, no, I'm also human, which contains a bunch of other categories that Mm -hmm. you're leaving out and you're not giving proper attention to Mm. you're ignoring what makes me me by just choosing to use my membership in a certain subset of categories as some kind of currency by which to move me around in this, in this discussion, mm-hmm. it's dehumanizing. So we, I'm going to kind of jump out here in this little area. Um, and I'm not sure exactly. So I see one thing with like, you know, you know, teenagers to sort of young adults to adulthood as you move into your, maybe 25 ish area. Again, this is arbitrary numbers, but, um, there's a certain reaction that you define yourself by what you are not. And also you want to identify with something very specifically. You know, I think there's like, it seems like there is a desire in younger people to identify very specifically with a group, whatever it might be. Um, not oh, damn. Well, because I, I think as as I see people who reach adulthood and still do that, there's still something I would say is childish about that that can't operate in in a wider way and trans trans transcend category in a sense in that way, you know, um, uh, you know, I think of like the high school football player that, uh, you know, just his glory days were his high school, you know, quarterback. I won the state champion. And it never grew past or beyond that one category that now has defined him into his forties and fifties, you know? Hmm. Um, it's like we get stuck in a category, you know, it's like, I am this, 
I am a Democrat. So I'm going to let being a Democrat define all my actions. And I'm going to take on all that it means to be a Democrat. But then those start to crumble too, because like, as you, as you navigate that category, you're, you're starting to see like, Oh, wait a minute, not all Democrats are the same. Hmm. And so there's a tendency I've seen, you know, both on the Democrat and Republican side is like, Oh, well, you're not a Democrat or Republican because you don't go this far. And so, you know, it's like, so then not allowing that there's a little bit of difference within that category that you can still be a Democrat or a Republican, but you might not fit on one side or the other to the extreme of somebody else's definition of that. Well, to that extent, you don't, no one fits. Mm -hmm. If the category is large enough, it's like no one really fits. You fit part of it. Yeah. But enough of it to be contained. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about your, your example of growing up, you know, when you're a small child, you have this awareness that you fit in the category of your family. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know what that means until you start being a little bit social and you start realizing like, oh, so other kids behave really differently mm-hmm. and they have a different set of rules and their parents do really different things. And you go to your first sleepover and it's wildly uncomfortable, you know, and you probably call your parents <laughs> several hours in and you're like, bring me home. <laughs> I don't know why I just feel very uncomfortable, uh-huh. you know? And then as you, as you grow a little bit more, you realize, Oh, you start meeting people that are enough like you, but not, but also not like you that it's invigorating. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. I found my people, my tribe. Right. And mm-hmm. it's invigorating because it's, because there's differences. Mm hmm but some core similarities. Yeah. And so your idea of the category that you fit in go, grows larger. Hmm. And then I think, you know, at some point you grow old enough and you live somewhere on your own long enough. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, I'm an Austinite. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm securely an Austinite, whatever yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. I'm one. And you start behaving a little bit differently around town. You have a bit more ownership, hmm. you know, and then you start, identifying as a Texan because you realize that you fit that category too. And you're, you're, you're partly discovering what the category is and partly defining what it is at the same time Mm -hmm. by being a member of it. And then, you know, hopefully you, you expand to the, you sort of take your place in the community at the larger level and you say, I'm an American Mm -hmm. and that matters. Um, and I think that there is a, a failure to take on the seat of responsibility and grow into the larger categories of which you've always, you were a part of, you know, from the age of two, let's just take mm-hmm. the example of somebody growing up in Austin from, you know, birth till yeah. adulthood. It's like, you were always an American. Mm-hmm. You were always a Texan. You were always an Austinite. You were always a member of your family, but there is a, a growing and taking on of responsibility to, sort of sit at the seat of that table hmm. of the larger categories as you become aware of them and as you become capable of interacting with them as such. Well, I think too, I'm, I'm, I've seen, you know, within the last 10, 15 years is like that sort of denial of those categories because people are different from them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm not an Austinite because of this or mm-hmm. a Texan because of this or an American because of this, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, it's like, you're too rigid in your, in your categories as you're moving out, like even deny denying their family, you know, it's like, 
Like I'm not, I'm not a, I can't be a part of this family because you know, you voted for Biden or you voted for Trump or whatever it might be. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, it's like, that's such a narrow reason to take yourself out of that category. Hmm. It's like you, you have to allow it's even with yourself. It's like, you know, if, as you, as you define yourself and as you grow and mature, it's like, you're not going to be the same person you were yesterday or the year before or the year before that. And if you don't allow yourself to be something that you did not think you were, then you kind of get stuck and it's like your world sort of narrows because your, your categories are so small, you know, as far as like, um, you know, you're not fitting into larger and broader categories that you, you that you kind of identify with, even though you might not. It's 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 a broader category, so you might not completely identify with everybody in that category. Mm-hmm. You know, well, and the broader the category is, by definition, the more differences there are in between oh, I- inside of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like for going from human to male and female, it's like human encompasses both male and female and all ages and all ages. Yeah. And religions and <laughs> persuasions and uh-huh. orientations and yeah. And then male and female also then include, yeah. So you kind of get that, mm-hmm. but there's like, but it's, it doesn't mean that you need to get rid of those hierarchical <clears throat> categories. No, somebody made the point that, um, I think it might've been Jordan Peterson that if you, if you take any given two groups, mm-hmm there are more differences between the people in the group than there are between the two groups. So you could just take a room of a hundred people and divide it in half. Mm -hmm. You could do it arbitrarily or you could do it by skin color or sex or political uh, persuasion or whatever. Just divide the room in half and then aggregate the two groups into some description, which fits the people Mm -hmm. there are, and then compare the two groups and there's differences between the two groups, obviously, mm-hmm. but there are more differences in each of the two groups, you know, within the group mm-hmm. than there are between the groups. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Cause we're like that difference between those two larger groups is, is more broad, mm-hmm. you know, but it's actually like a lot of those people in those two groups would actually be maybe more comfortable or identify with people in the other group. Some yeah. Other well, and there's specific a, there's an infinite number of waves ways that you can compare individuals. There isn't an infinite number of ways that you can compare two groups because, well, because the categories have to incorporate the group. Mm -hmm. So there's less attributes to the larger category Mm -hmm. and the, the smaller you get down to the level of the individual, there's an infinite number of differences. Yeah. And, and it's not back to the sort of maybe the beginning of this conversation, Categories are functional. We need them Mm -hmm. because we have to be able to talk to one another Mm -hmm. and know that we're talking about the same thing in order to share a headspace, in order to be productive. But down at the level of the individual, each of us are different. Mm -hmm. And if we're obsessed with breaking down larger categories into smaller ones and smaller ones and smaller ones and smaller ones, like eventually you'll just end up in every individual is their own category, Mm -hmm. but then every individual is alone. Yeah. And that's a problem. I ran across, across this quote this week. She said, um, a man alone on an island is not free. Hmm. And it really struck me. So, you know, think a lot about these issues of freedom. 
which kind of been a part of the public debate lately, you know, should you be allowed to do whatever you want? And some, some part of you wants to say, yeah, I'm, I'm free, live in a free country, mm-hmm. leave me alone. But then some other part of you knows that that's wrong too, because, well, you can't do whatever you want. Otherwise society wouldn't function. There has to be rules. Mm-hmm. And then I thought this is such a beautiful analogy. A man alone on an island is not free. And I think, okay, yeah, exactly. Put me on an island where I'm alone. There are no ramifications to my actions to other people. I can do whatever I want. Am I free? No, I'm in a prison. I'm in a prison that happens to be larger than a cell. That's not freedom. Mm-hmm. Somehow freedom has to incorporate re- relationship. And relationship has to incorporate agreements. And agreements have to be ba- met and based on categories basic ones of right and wrong yeah <clears throat> basic ones of shared reality what's well, interesting I, I it's like i i do follow but i'm not sure exactly why i follow because like you know if i want if i want to island by myself it's like well i can do whatever i want to uh, but then at the same time I, I i don't know if this is kind of part of it is like well i still have to like cook my dinner and find food and shelter and do all these things well i mean is there a difference between in terms of freedom between being on an island and being in a prison cell? Well, I guess a prison you cell. You do whatever be, you want in a prison cell. Yeah, I guess in that argument it would be like, could you leave the island and like you know, is is that is that a place that you were forced to be? You know, it's like um So I think one is more imposed on you versus one that you choose, you know, if you chose to be on the Island by yourself, like, like maybe that is, but if you, if, if, if that was imposed on you, then there really is no difference between an Island and a, in a, in a cell hmm. other than maybe the, uh, <laughs> the surroundings are a little bit nicer. <laughs> well, I don't know that, <clears throat> I don't know if the choice has anything to do with the question of whether or not you're free. Hmm. I mean, I could choose to go into a cell. Yeah. Am I free? I don't know. I would kind of say yes, because hmm. you chose you chose to confine yourself. You know, like if you're on an island and you didn't choose to confine yourself, then you're not free. You're actually imprisoned by the island because you didn't choose to be there. But hmm. so, are you suggesting that if I ever find myself in a prison cell, I just simply change my perspective <laughs> and then I'll be free? <laughs> Well, honestly, there, 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 there's something psychological with that. I mean, whether that's, but then uh, there's also the reality of like, why are you there? You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, did somebody put you there? That's true. But within this space, I'm going to choose to be here, even with the constraints of somebody put me here. You know, it's like, you know, I I think of Solzhenitsyn, Viktor Frankl, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like that, you know, the one thing that they can't take from me is my choice. You yeah. Know? Right. Like I'm going to choose to be here. No, you're, you're put there. He's like, yeah, but I, I choose to be here. Like basically saying I choose to be present, choose to wake up every day, choose to wake up every day. Yeah. It's like, that's the one thing that, well, what, what is it that he says that in between stimulus and response, there is a choice. Yeah. That's the ultimate choice. Mm-hmm. I can choose how to respond. Yeah. doesn't matter what it is I'm responding to. Mm-hmm. 
or how horrific it may be, I yeah. still have the choice to respond. Yeah. And my response might cause my death, mm-hmm. but still mine. Yeah. It's the one thing you can't take. Which I love it. That kind of, uh, he does such a great job of boiling it down to the essence of, of life. If, if everything was taken from you, like that is something that is, you do have that choice, you know, and that's the choice to wake up and, and just pursue life or to give up and yeah. die. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically what that is, you know? Right. Hmm. I mean, that is the fundamental choice. Mm-hmm. Wake up and pursue or die. Mm-hmm. In many subcategories of ways. <laughs> yeah, totally. <clears throat> well, I think that's, uh, I feel like, I feel like we kind of like tackled the, you know, the categories and the subcategories that we kind of put ourselves in and maybe as a society or as a religious group or whatever it is that we, we kind of choose to be a part of different organizations of people that have a certain way to organize themselves and put categories on themselves. And it's like, like what are the most useful ways of doing that? I think that's something that as a, as a, as a people we've come through the thousands and thousands and thousands of generations, maybe thousand generations, but years of working that out and there's, it's like, it's, it's not something that we can just throw away lightly. Like there's something that we've, that we've sort of played out and have seen the results from and it's in, and the, the challenge those are is helpful in that it keeps them from being stale and stagnant in, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, they are very important to have some sort of way that we organize ourselves. Like. I think that's the only way a society and how we thrive throughout the ages is finding ways to organize ourselves into um, categories Mm -hmm. and relationships and defining those things that we can have some sort of future. Hmm. Coming to terms with the ways that we are part of certain categories, whether we like it or not, Mm -hmm. whether that's, family, community, country, gender. Mm -hmm. And ways in which the way that the categories were defined need updating. Mm -hmm. Renewal. Creative renewal. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be an American? Well, partly it means you live on this, this particular piece of land Mm -hmm. part of the answer to that is well we don't know yet part of your part of your acting within the category defines the category and that's part of i think like our forefathers that came for us like you know like they you know the bill of rights and the constitution and stuff like kind of defining what it means to be an american you know you know, the idea of free speech and, Mm -hmm. you know, the right to bear arms and, um, you know, we do, we've got, uh, a judicial and a president, uh, executive and a congressional, um, congressional judicial crew. I don't know if I got that right. 
<laughs> Anyways, it doesn't matter. The three forms of government, like somehow, like to keep everybody in check, that we know that legislative, legislative. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Congressional did throughout the same round um, because they knew that we we kind of tend towards tyranny and like how do we mm-hmm. create a free society that is not the best but it's better than any other form, right? And it's like there's a certain of a allowance for abuse but to do any any differently would would just lead to a tyranny of some sort yeah hmm. well that just be it, it, there's a new light shined in my mind about <laughs> the emergence of tyranny hmm. i mean emergent it will tyranny will always emerge where categories aren't allowed to be renewed hmm. because humans are creative and you're always going to create and it's always going to challenge the boundaries. Mm. And if you don't allow the boundaries to be renewed, then you stifle creativity. You stifle the human spirit. That is tyranny. Mm. That's interesting. Okay. Could it go both directions? Like one would be the over categorization and the under categorization. I don't know if that's, that's, that would be tyranny. I mean, that's almost anarchy is whenever you have that. That would be more anarchy. Yeah. yeah. So tyranny or anarchy is maybe the, the poles of which you're balancing between as mm. far as. Mm-hmm. The and, I think, and I think the balance between that is freedom. Like that's mm. what we're striving for. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's descriptive of the reason that freedom requires responsibility. Hmm. Because freedom without responsibility isn't freedom. It's a cell, depending on how you look at it. True. Depending on the scope at which you define it. Because just like you could say, well, an island when you're alone is a cell. Mm -hmm. Except it's not. You could say the same thing about the world itself. as It's Mm -hmm. a cell. Yeah. Unless it's not. Mm That's interesting. We're confined on the prison of earth. <laughs> right. Right. But it doesn't feel like a prison because uh-uh. we don't know anything else about the beyond. Yeah. But then once you have the beyond. Mm-hmm. And if someone keeps you from going beyond mm-hmm. now, earth becomes a prison. Yeah. So the balance, the, y- the yin and the yang in some sense, mm-hmm. like you need categories and rules and structures so that you can operate and be creative and challenge mm-hmm. the rules yeah it's like it's it's the constant challenge breakdown and then renewal yeah and (laughs) so that was probably too strong so many things are coming together well there's a certain like it's like there's a certain healthiness that helps you know again outside of the challenging aspect also submit to the categories that also is helpful Mm -hmm. to move into life and further like you know an apprentice has to submit to being an apprentice. Right. It can't just say, I'm a master. It's like, no, you're not. It's like, you need to submit to be a, an apprentice. In order to become a in master. In order to become a master. Right. Yeah. Right. So there is a certain submission that we have to have to certain categories in order to flourish and to grow into something more than just the category itself. You know, it's like, right. so. <sighs> I think we said categories a lot. We did. (laughs) But it was interesting. (laughs) It was interesting. Well, cheers. All right. Love you guys. Thanks for coming to the shorts. Thanks. Thanks.